Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Today's guest does work that other people don't necessarily want to do. He buys distressed properties. He's putting a personal touch on everything that he does, and he learned that from his dad. Scott Carson, welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. I would say you have many great ideas. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. I was thinking to myself, what do you ask somebody who has a thousand podcasts of their own? You're booking like three to four episode on other podcasts a day. You're winning, you know, educator of the year awards, right? Like you have shared your story so many times, which I think is amazing because the more you do it, the more comfortable you become doing it. Right. But I was like, what's your daddy story? I mean, I'm sure you haven't told that very often. My daddy stories. My daddy was my hero actually growing up. Oh yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. So my dad, give you a little background. My father, my family's from Minnesota and my dad uh, actually had to quit high school because his older brother went off to the Korean War. So he quit school to go and help my grandfather with their dairy farm. So we're I come from a line of dairy farmers and corn farmers up in, you know, the land of 10,000 lakes, basically. So dad quit school for a couple of years. My uncle Bob came back from the Korean War and my dad wanted to go to high school to finish his di diploma and his parents were against it. Like, no, we, we need you here. Everything you need to know here in farm, you're going to be a farmer. You know, that's so, well, he actually went against their wills and went on his own. So he went from like seriously being like one of 12 kids at a little schoolhouse in outside of Rochester, Minnesota, to go into like trying to finish his, his diploma, renting a place on his own, working two jobs to put himself through high school to get his, his diploma. And so he did that on his own. He then went to seminary school to become a minister, got a seminary degree, and then he married his high school sweetheart. And they, in the process of a few years, had seven kids cranking them out. There's not much to do during the winter. You know what I mean? <laughs> If you're going to farming, you need to raise your own health. You know what I mean? So, but I've heard that. Yeah, exactly. So, but then my dad got back into farming and then ended up divorcing his first wife with seven kids because she was just evil. But then married my mom and there's a 15 year age gap between my parents. You know, he was 35 with some kids and she was 20 when they got married. If you can imagine that. Yeah, exactly. Way to go, dad. Rocking the cradle of love. You know what I mean? And my parents were huge work ethic. Love them. They were married for 34 years. So my dad passed and my parents moved to Corpus Christi, Texas when, when I was like two or three. So I grew up in South Texas and my dad was always kind of an entrepreneur. He started a hardware store. And when I was in the fourth grade, and I, I grew up working around older people the entire time. I, I could run the register and all this stuff. Completely run a hardware store by myself on the weekends as a fourth grader, fourth and fifth grader. And they would leave me to the weekend sometimes if they had to go off to something 
and just bringing an old guy to watch the counter so make sure I didn't get robbed. So, yeah. So that's kind of the, the aspect of, of that. My, my dad had the biggest faith. He didn't go into the ministry, the ministry because he just didn't believe that a lot of his friends were going into, you know, being a, a minister for the right reasons. They were going for the money reasons, and that's not the right reason. So that's my my dad has always been my best friend. I could talk about anything. He was strict, to me wrong, very strict, but I respected that. He helped me build my work ethic and you know, my mom went back to school after 20 years, become a nurse as well. My dad's health started to go bad. So I, I, my parents, I was very blessed to have great parents who, you know, didn't push me to do anything. They let me make my own decisions, but they were, you know, strict and they always, anything I want to do, they gave me hundred percent support in what I wanted to do for the most part. So every day I, I hear my dad in my head because it's my voice. I sound a lot like him, you know what I mean? And so, yeah, when I'm hitting trials and tribulations, I end up talking to my father quite a bit or hear my dad talking in my head. I think that's helped hone me to kind of wake up in the morning and make sure get get stuff done and really have a servant mindset. When my dad ran the hardware store for 15 years, he was always helping people out, coming in on the day off to help. It was a small little community, like 3,500 to 5,000 people where he lived at outside of Corpus Christi. And everybody knows everybody. And my dad was always one of these guys that you know went above and beyond. And when he passed, we found out all these people came out of the woodwork to talk about the things that he'd done or gone above and beyond and never asked for any type of recognition, you know, from, from even like illegals coming up from the border that needed water, he would get them food and water and help them on their way or let them make a phone call and to, you know, donate his time or like the local school district had all their wood stolen for wood shops stolen one year out of the blue. And he donated, went and bought all this wood and donated thousands of dollars in wood and power tools to them. And I didn't, didn't know about that until after he passed away because after I graduated and moved on. So my dad was, is, is, as I say, I'll say it again, is the hero in, in my early development years, I guess you could say. For my, my first mentor was my father. Wow, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. That is, that is really beautiful. I heard from Tracy Hazard that you're into taking care of animals and plants too. With COVID, I used to travel. I mean, Steph and I, my significant other here, my better half, I joke that we're not married, we're happy. You know what I mean? <laughs> but with COVID, we weren't traveling as much. We weren't taking as many vacations. And yeah, so we had to do something here in Austin. So we started planting plants in our backyard, which used to be just a concrete wall. We don't have a very big backyard. It's only about 15 foot wide by 50 foot you know, wide. So it's not a very big spot, but we started planting plants. Now we have the nicest backyard. It's a tropical forest. I'll have to send you a photo of it. We got cannas that are eight foot tall, big palm, banana palms. They're like 15 feet tall and flowers. I got tomato plants on both sides of my house that are like eight to 10 feet tall, growing tomatoes and peppers. So yeah, we, we enjoy the, uh, the tropical side and plant vegetables, stuff like that. And then Steph has always been a big animal advocate. Uh, I and mean, we've got many cat and dog lover, obviously, but she, that's her her calling is really as a pet advocate. She does a lot with rescues. She flies across the country to pick up a cat and then flies it across the other country to drop it off to an owner to avoid kill shelters and stuff like that. So uh, she hosted recently an online summit in April called the Fur Baby Summit. First time put together, you know, like 20 speakers over three and a half days. She did a really great job with it. So yeah, really proud of Steph. Yeah, there's a whole community around rescuing animals. Oh, it's not just a community. We're talking like country. I mean, there are some big groups that are very opinionated. It's kind of funny. I, I, Steph's got a great, she goes in and answers questions. We had, we've got a couple cats and we've had cats that have had weird things happen to cancer, come back twice sort of thing. So she's really good at helping people if they've got an animal sickness or something going on that she's able to jump in and help them out with that. And, uh, you know, I thought real estate was a big community. The whole pet community is totally, it, way, it makes the real estate industry look small compared to otherwise. You know what I mean? Wow. Also on Twitter, you mentioned that you were an ostrich farmer. Oh, you asked that question. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That goes back to like high school days. 
when you own the local, when your dad owns a local hardware store and people need help, they come and looking for help. And then I get hired out to go do it, you know, on the weekends and summer stuff. Yeah. So I worked on an ostrich farm for three summers, herding a herd of ostriches, feeding them and making sure they didn't kill each other. And they're not, they're not a very nice bird. I'll tell you that they, they get very aggressive. If you didn't know about ostriches, the male goes into heat, not the woman. When the, the female lays the egg, it's the male that warms the egg. And the males, to show that they're in heat, they get very bright red along their beaks and their feet. And yeah, it's it's they're they're pretty aggressive territorial birds. Back in the day, like when Oprah made the mistake of like going against the U.S. Beef Council, South Texans thought, "Oh, we'll do ostriches; it'll, it'll replace the the beef market." Well, it didn't. So all these people with ostrich farms and emu farms and stuff like that that were trying to replace the beef industry, and so we had them pop up all around Corpus Christi, and I worked for a couple of them. Yeah. Have you ever eaten ostrich? Oh yeah. It's, it's just like chicken. Ostrich omelet makes an omelet big enough for like eight people. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, it's a good bird. I mean, very lean meat. I mean, but it's, it's exactly just like t- chicken and turkey. That's crazy. I'm surprised after like becoming their friend that you were able to eat one. You don't have friends. We didn't name them. I mean, they were, they were like the harvest. Like you don't go, you don't go name your pig if you're going to slaughter it. Okay. You don't name the cow if you're going to be eating the T-bone later. You know what I mean? That's just, that's just bad, bad karma. Okay. To do that as a, a farmer. You know, it, the kid, don't get me wrong. I have a friend who raised a, a Holstein cow in like 4-H in high school and called it Buttercup and raised it up and won all these awards. And she went away for summer camp and came back and they were eating steak one night. And I'm like, man, this steak tastes good. And dad looked over, you should, it's Buttercup you're eating. Oh my God. Yeah. I, that's funny because there's this job that, you know, in the Jewish faith that, you know, we slaughter animals kosherly where they're not supposed to feel pain or whatever. And the person who does that job or supervises is is called, I think a shochet. And a lot of times, yeah, like they'll raise animals and the kids will like get close to those animals and then they come home for dinner and that animal could be on the table. I actually know someone where that happened. I mean, I feel like that could be traumatizing. Yeah, it, I think it definitely can be traumatizing. I think parents will do that a little bit because it's just life, but it's also funny. It's like, oh, go feed Petunia. I don't want to do the chore. You go feed the pig. Go feel Sally, you know, Sally Sue Sal. You know, there's one name that they had for some different things, but I think that's important. I mean, death is around us all the time. And hey, if you're raising your meat, which is what everybody, that's how we all started off back before we had all of the stuff that was going on right now and uh, all the technology stuff like that. You raised what you, you ate. And more people are going back to that, you know, raising chickens and homesteading or being off the grid. You'll, I think we're seeing more and more of that for the most part. But in Texas here, that's just like, hey, you got to steer out back. We'll, we'll have T-bones in six hours if you give me time to bar, you know, to butcher and barbecue. <laughs> I know that's really funny too. Okay, so on Twitter you said to me, "Once you go Texan, you never go back." Talk yeah, right. to me about growing up in Texas, and you've lived here your whole life, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I, we moved down here when I was like three, so I, I'm Texan, as I say. I Steph Jones, I saw him from Minnesota originally. It's just a way to touch people, just base with people. But yeah, you know, in Texas, people don't know this, but when you're going through elementary school and all the school, we actually in Texas they have seventh grade is Texas history. The whole year on Texas history. Eighth grade is world history, but seventh grade, it's Texas history. So they teach you everything here about the independence and the six flags over Texas or six different countries that we've been a part of. So they teach you that Texas pride. And, you know, you grow up, you know, saluting the Lone Star flag, rooting hopefully for the, you know, rooting for the Cowboys, 
hopefully for the Longhorns, hook them horns, and then ch- eating chicken fried steak and peach cobbler for the most part. Those are your two basic staples. But that's the, you know, it's a great place. It's a friend. It's such a friendly state. When I'm in my travels around the United States, when, especially when you get time like winter time, in a lot of the northern states, people get grumpy because they're not getting vitamin D, you know what I mean, from the sun. And when we would go back to Minnesota to see my family, you know, we're all perky. Hey, how's it going? You're having a great day. And people are like, why are you so perky? Yeah. Like, I said, well, we're from Texas. Oh, that explains it. <laughs> so it's just a great place. I mean, I grew up on the coast. It was fun, you know, in a hardware store. I had all sorts of stuff to do with my dad and mom. You're, going to the, you're near the beach and Mexican food is great here and food, steak. I mean, it's just a, I, I, I lived a pretty semi-charged life growing up for the most part. We didn't have a lot. I mean, my parents weren't by any means wealthy. They're very kind of middle class, maybe a little bit low middle class at some points, but we always had fun, you know, always had stuff to do. And I'm very, very thankful of the work ethic that my parents gave me. Because when my friends were running off to like on the weekends, go to the beach and they would honk because they were driving by me mowing yards at the ostrich farm, you know, I'm making money. And then looking back now, how after a lot of my successes come from my work ethic and a lot of their failures have come because they didn't have as good a work ethic. You know what I mean? Interesting. Okay. So let's talk about how you're making money. What we do for my, I guess you say my nine to five or what I do, because I'm unemployable, thank, thankfully unemployable. I have been, and I look back, it's been over 20 years since I got my last B2 from a, a normal nine to five job. But I'm in the note business. I used to be a mortgage banker, financial advisor, worked for JP Morgan Chase, Bank One, Smith Barney back in the day out of, of college. But I'm in the distressed mortgage space. So what, what does that mean? I buy debt. So if you are a movie a fan of Christian Bale movies. The Big Short is a very popular movie. I'm kind of like the Christian Bale character in The Big Short, where I'm buying mortgages direct from banks and asset managers and hedge funds and stuff like that. We're buying mortgages, first liens on residential commercial properties. And we buy this stuff at a discount because the people have not paid, whether it's six months or six years, they're not making a mortgage payment. And we buy that debt at a big discount from the lenders. And then since we buy it at a big discount, our big goal, Rena, is then to contact the borrowers and either try to work it out in some sort of fashion, either get them to start paying on time, paying their existing payment or modifying that loan or trying to keep them in the house if they want to stay. Now, if they don't want to pay, you know pay, you know stay. And if they can't pay or they won't pay, then we work it on a way to either give them some cash for keys to walk. So we take the property back or we'll go through the legal route to foreclose. And then, then we own the asset at a big discount that we can turn around and sell you know, as a traditional property or turn into a rental or or, you know, uh, sell it to other investors, stuff like that. So that's how I've really made most of my money over the last 20 years is buying debt. It turns in most of the time, our biggest goal is that when we buy this debt is the, the bar back on, on track, just making payments. So if we're buying, you know, if they've got some simple numbers for folks, if they got a, if they bought a house worth a hundred and they've been paid in six months, they probably owe somewhere around 110. They're upside down a little bit, but we would probably buy that debt at 50 cents of the value of the property. So we pay 50 grand for the note. If they've got a 6% mortgage on it and we can get them back on track to start paying on time, that's like a 12% cash and cash return in the first 12 months. If they just start paying and get caught back up, if they bring a little bit of extra to the table, you know, four to five months of back payments or a little bit extra to the year, that could be a 20% cash and cash return to us. If we hold that note for 12 months, it's now considered reperforming in our field. And we can sell that note back to Wall Street, back to other investors as a performing note at say 85, 90 cents of the dollar now. So we get a little upfront from the bar, payments along the way, and then we get a lump sum on either, uh, when we sell that note, either secondary market or the bar pays us off. So that's a pretty good chunk of change. And then I make my money also. We have classes and education. I've been teaching note investing since 2010, I guess, is when I taught my first class. So we have, you know, coaches. Like I said, I have one, one day classes. I got three day classes. We got some high end coaching as well that we do for folks. And then, of course, 
you know, we, we make money also through our marketing and affiliates and speaking gigs and stuff like that as we do for marketing too. And YouTube now. Yeah. Well, I've, I've been monetized for a while. I mean, I'm, I'm not making thousands of thousands of dollars on YouTube. But I think it pays the electric bill. You know what I mean? And then it, le but it leads, that's the thing about our marketing. And I think everybody, if you're a content creator or you're using your podcast or something to spread the word, what you're doing, you have to take a, a marketing first mindset. So I don't, really i mean yes i'm in the note business yes i'm in the real estate business yes i'm in the education business but actually all those boil down to one thing i'm in a marketing position i'm in the media business all right i think a lot of people as entrepreneurs or business owners they get so bogged down into the tiddlywinks of what they're selling they don't realize no you're actually marketing first in today's society so i always start the day off really looking at okay what am i doing today marketing wise are we doing on a, a podcast episode as a guest am i have my own episode, what emails are going out, what videos are we sending out? And, and so that's the thing. We always try to spend the first hour of the day focused on our marketing plan and, and trying to get something out six, seven days a week, most of the time, whether it's us posting or creating or repurposing content or replaying content that we've recorded and re-released and stuff like that. So that's, that's helped us really dominate our niche. You know, we have the number one YouTube channel, uh, number one podcast in our niche out there. It's just because we've been consistent and, and cranked out a lot of episodes and a lot of content over since we started. It can't just be that you've cranked out a lot. Like you have learned some things that work and don't work. Let's talk about oh, that. Yeah. So, well, the, the mindset is the first thing. Anytime we stop doing something, like I got a little bit of pod fade this year. I'm not going to lie. We hit 700 and I was like, I was like crawling at the end of a marathon. I don't want to stop there and we're start cranking back up, but you run into that. I mean, I think everybody was Zoom exhausted, you know, from COVID. I mean, I've been doing virtual events and stuff like that since before COVID for five years. But that's the number one thing is consistency. It's just being present. That's part of it. And repurposing content more so than anything else. You don't have to create eight pieces of content for eight platforms. It's one piece of content that you can reuse and reshare. Like I'll, I'll give you a great example. So we have the Note Closer Show podcast with a bunch of episodes, but we spun off a couple of years ago. We started doing a, a live virtual event once a year called Note Camp. And we would bring on like 20 to 30 of our peers or investors in our industry. And we do a three to four day live virtual summit, live, not record pre-recorded, live. Much more engagement that way. And then that turns in like a, a batch recording, 24 episodes recorded in four days. You know what I mean? That's a lot of work, but we want to maximize that content. So besides just delivering that for four days where a lot of people would stop, we take those four days of video, 26 episodes, and then we've started releasing them one video a day on YouTube. When we release it, well, we use Restream.io. Works is one of my favorite tools. So it re-releases it at five o'clock or six o'clock, depending on what YouTube tells us is the best day to go live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch even, and, and a few other of our Facebook. So we re-broadcast those videos. Those gets another 50 to 100 views. We then will, after those, the last episode ends tomorrow. So we'll take those episodes down and turn them all into podcast episodes with Tom and Tracy Hazard from Podetize. And so we'll release one of those episodes every week for the next 24 weeks, okay? They turn them into a blog. They turn them into infographics. And so we'll then, of course, reshare that via email blasts, our LinkedIn newsletter, and social media posts across the board. So four days of a lot of work, and we created infographics on the front end and reshared it all through Buffer. But that's the whole point is that we're, we're maximizing those four days in a variety of fashions to reshare those speakers' messages. And, and for a lot of them, about half the folks that we had on there, they're offering services of some sort, either as a vendor or they're offering a class. And so a great way when you're starting off uh, marketing is to work with affiliates. So we get affiliates on every one of those. So if somebody sells a class, we get a 50% cut of sales. If they 
offer a service up, we may get, it doesn't affect the bottom line of the person buying the service. We just get a kickback of some, maybe it's 10% or 20% or, you know, one month of the fees, but all that little bit of stuff adds up to pretty good revenue each month on an affiliate basis. If you do it and work your way through it. So that was a spinoff. I mean, the note camp, we've done that five years now and we've got another hundred plus episodes from just a spinoff of our main something recorded. And what's funny, Rena, is I'm a big believer delivered equals rich perfection equals broke. A lot oh, yeah. of, you know what I mean? And so w- when we first came up with the idea, I got to give Steph big kudos for coming up with the idea because it actually came from one of my biggest fails as a marketer. We were going to put on an event and I was doing hotel events and summits and traveling across the country. And that gets, that's great, but it's also very stressful. But we were going to put on a three-day event in Houston a few years back. All this marketing, we were dropping thousands of postcards, you know, on the hook for 25,000 hotel block, all that good stuff. And it, nobody was signing up. And so we canceled it a week before. But you can imagine, I was stressed. I've never felt like I was going to have a heart attack than I did then. I mean, I was just stressed out. I was not in a good mood. People weren't signing up. We were, I was running every play in the book I could think of, and it just bombed. Well, I think God had a hand in it because we were driving here, and I was just kind of griping about it, feeling sorry for myself. And I'd been doing webinars anyway. And Steph's like, well, why don't you just do it on Zoom? Why don't you just do it on, you know, go to a webinar, do a virtual event. It's like, oh, no, nobody will show up for a virtual event. They want to network. And I started thinking about it. So, well, let's give it a try. So we did. And it just did awesome. So we, we did a, wow. a three-day three day summit, just one of my normal classes. But then we had this idea, let's do note camp. So we came up with this idea. We're going to do it live. And we found out one of our competitors was planning on doing a live virtual event as well. Well, they were trying to be perfect. They, they were pre-recording the episodes, not doing them live. They were stretched over two weeks. Well, we just killed because we were first to market. And we were basically, we weren't perfect by any means, but we were the first one to do it and get it out there. And we captured you know, first, we had like 1,500 people on a three-day virtual summit. And the other company's like, well, that you guys just killed us. You know, we had some cool ideas, but we they, they've never done it again. They've never what? done it. Yeah, they've just totally stopped. They never did it a second time or a third time because we said, okay, let's do it. So we did it the first two years. We did it every six months. And then we went to once a year. And it's still the largest event in our industry. There's other events that pop up that have a few hundred people at it, but our virtual event is still the largest attended note event annually based on our numbers and things that we track and a lot of things. So delivered. I mean, we've gotten better each year. We've honed it. You know, we've done it nine times, something like that. We collect information and use that to market ourselves and come up with content ideas for six to 12 months. And we survey our audience. So they give us their biggest needs and biggest fears and what they struggle with the most, which is ideal content for podcast episodes and webinars that we roll out for the whole year. So yeah, that that's works. awesome. That, I that's think what... too, like maybe you should invite that other competitor that couldn't pull it off and just be like, hey, come to mind. We did. <laughs> and actually, that's one thing too. I'm going to throw this as a tip out for podcasters out there. If you want more audience share, invite your peers or competitors on your podcast. So we did that. And it was funny. We, the first time we did, we reached out to my biggest competitor. I won't name any names, but he's like, oh, he wouldn't even respond. I was like, okay, fine. So we did it. And we had this huge result. Well, sure enough, he reached out next year. Hey, are you having your event again? I'd love to speak on your event again. I'm like, yeah, sure. And so I said, oh, hell froze over. So-and-so and Scott are on a webinar. Hell finally froze over in the note business. And of course, he didn't get it. He was like, the, he wanted to be the first speaker. And he's pitching right off the bat. I'm like, dude, you can't pitch on the first day. It's got to be free and just content. And he pitches this class. It was like the lowest sales. And But people were like, oh, my God, of course. Would he reciprocate and have me speak at his event? Never in a million years, which is totally fine. But now we use his name and other stuff. It's generate people. Like they search like, oh, what's this? And they find all this great stuff. Like I just was talking to a guy right before I jumped on. He was like, yeah, I'm part of this other competitor. But my education has stopped. I want to learn, keep learning. And I see all this stuff that you keep cranking out. I'm like, well, welcome to the Note family. 
<laughs> so that's the biggest thing. Keep cranky. Invite your peers. You'll have people that are searching for those folks. They'll find your podcast, find your YouTube channel. And it's a great way to just to kill them with content, I like to say, and kill them with kindness. Yeah. So back to your dad, do you think like your love of educating and serving kind of stems from him? Oh, I, I know my, my serving definitely comes from him. Education, I don't know. My dad was a quiet individual. My mom and dad would often joke they thought I was a, a mix-up in the delivery room because I was very outgoing and extroverted. My dad's always been very reserved. Growing up, I wasn't afraid to mix it up a little bit to tell people what I thought. I'm still not afraid to tell people what I think of them. But okay, dad, yeah. so I want to speak to that a little bit because I heard you say on another episode that you, about a year ago, had some haters. Oh, and yeah. instead of really telling them where to go, you had to be like thoughtful in your response. Can you talk about addressing yeah. haters in yeah, a thoughtful yeah. way? Well, here's the thing. When you think about it, if people are going to take the time to hate on you, you're probably doing something right. Okay. And there was a lot of things I wanted to say, and I wanted to be a firebrand. And I, you know, you sh whenever you feel that way, you need to take 24 hours to cool down. Okay. And then we had some deals that went south and people jumped on the bandwagon to bash us. And everybody's a keyboard warrior these days, accusing us of things that we didn't do. We weren't guilty of, but we just stuck by our guns. I had, and this is what's great about having a, a peer network of people that you have mentors and coaches. I had my, my coaches and my people that I really might reach out to me and say, Hey, Hey, I see, we see what's going on. Just keep doing what you're doing. We know everybody that knows you knows you're not guilty of these things or not just keep keep being yourself. In a couple of years, it's not going to matter. And then I reached out to my counsel and he's like, do not get in a social media war. It's the stupidest thing you can do. So I just said, okay. Then we were, it was stressful for a year. It was very stressful. And we had a $2 million capital call. You know, people were, would take something what somebody said and, and believe it and say they want to cancel their deal with us. Well, I, I have your money invested in a deal. I don't have it sitting in an account where I can write a check back for you. You've got to work with me on this. So anyway, we worked through that. But you, if you have haters, you're probably doing something right, especially if it's if people are hating on you that you've never talked to or never worked with. And you'll see that. I mean, you look at some of the things, some of the people, we could talk about politics, but let's avoid that. But you look at like Grant Cardone or other people that you see all these people that say comment, but then you have these haters out there that don't like you no matter what. And that's the thing is if you're, creating content if somebody's gonna say something negative you're never gonna have somebody who's either a doing more than you say something negative about you or b is above you in skill or they don't have the time they're not gonna waste their time you're not gonna have a line concerned with the opinions of sheep and so we just sit so we got like 20 people 25 people that hate me and that's fine some of these are ex-students that we've helped out and gone above and beyond I'm like never mind we know who our friends are and we know that you're not a friend now <laughs> And I just said, let's just keep cranking out content. Let's just keep serving. Let's just, so we doubled down. We started doing some stuff in the podcasting industry and doing some webinars uh, just for podcasters to help out that stuff as well. But we just keep cranking out content. And, and my big believer comes to my father and I, I, my dad saying, listen, he goes, Scott, the only way you lose is if you let them win. You're taking it into the teeth. They're getting kicked in the shins right now. You're getting knocked down. Just keep getting up. Just keep getting up. Just keep getting up. You know, and in Texas, as they say, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog in a lot of cases. So that's the thing that's kept me going. And when I get somebody who just responds negatively or, or stuff, you know, whatever, I just chuckle. And as we say here in Texas, bless your heart. You must be happy. <laughs> that's so true. Oh, bless your heart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know you, man. You don't know me, whatever. You do, If you knew me, you'd know otherwise. If you would take the time to pick up the phone and give me a phone call, I just laugh about that. But that's your first as an entrepreneur. You could do an email blast or podcast episode and you're excited and you have a hundred people that love the show or a ton of people that love the show. 
and you get that one negative comment, that's all you fix on, right? I got a mentor, Greg Reed, who's the co-author of Think and Grow Rich, Three Feet from Gold, and a variety of other things. And just he's a great guy in San Diego, known for years. And Greg told me this one fundamental piece as an entrepreneur is that people fall into three buckets. You have your friends, your your family, your loved ones. They fall in your bucket, your first bucket, which is great. That's the love bucket. Then you have the hater bucket on the opposite <laughs> side of the spectrum. Okay, people that have a dark hole for a soul. All right. And they are going to hate you because of your sex, your age, your color, your skin, what you wear, how big you are, how small you are. They're just going to find something to hate because they have, bless their heart. Right. <laughs> so what you have to do is not focus on that group. You have to give your love and attention and content and look to serve not only your your fans, but that middle bucket of people that don't know you from Adam. OK. And so you got to focus on that two groups that you're never going to be loved 100%. You don't want to be loved 100% because if you try to love everybody, first of all, you're going to work yourself to death and you're never going to be identified as a leader in your field. You've got to focus on the people that love you and the people that you serve. And what will happen over time is that group of haters will either fade away and go find somebody else to hate on that they can affect or B, they'll come around and suddenly become your fans. And then you'll meet them in the bank. Hey, I remember when you were doing this and trying to be your best friend. And you're like, mm -hmm. I remember seeing what you said to me or what you said about me online. And that's, we've seen that a little bit already. People come back. Oh yeah. I'm like, shut up block. No, no, sorry. No, you're not invited. <laughs> That's hard to do, especially as a new person a lot of times, because sometimes the people that we love the most are some of the ones that are most negative sometimes. And you, if you've got family, you just got to push, push them off the side and just keep cranking out stuff and, and understand that the, usually people that you, especially if it's your family or loved ones, they're trying to protect you, but they don't have the experience or the knowledge or the expertise in what you're trying to do. So don't listen to opinions. Opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one. Seek counsel, counsel from those that are where you're at or, or where you want to be and heed what they give you. And, and then the counsel is one of the best things that you can get, not opinions. I mean, our, my grandma could tell me something, but she, she's never done it. She, her opinion really doesn't matter. You know what I mean? What would your grandma say about what you're doing now? She would have no clue. My, my mom barely can understand what I do sometimes. Like for years, she's like, wait, are you going to get a job? I'm like, mom, I make more in one deal than you made in a year. Okay. Chill. I'm good. I know what I'm doing. And now she's like, oh, I know exactly what you're doing. Yeah. You're How does she describe investor. it? Oh, okay. You're a real estate investor. I'm like, yeah, that's part of it, but oh, that'll work. That's that's good enough, mom. That's good enough. Oh, I love it. Also, another thing that you commented on my Twitter that I'm super curious about is that you sold everything and you traveled for four years. So yeah, that's a that's an that's a fun story too. So back in married married my college sweetheart. We're married for seven years. Got divorced in 2008, just as the obviously great recession was going on here, and sold my mortgage company, half my mortgage company for a buck that was working was figuring out what I wanted to do for the most part. So you go had a business relationship partnership that split as well too. So I'm sitting there one night watching baseball. I'm a big baseball fan. And you remember those visa commercials, like $5 for a hot dog, $8 for a beer, seeing all 30 major league teams with your brother or dad, priceless rice. I was like, I would love to do that. And so, you know, I was going through a coaching program of some sort. And they said, write down your goals, you know, literally write it down, plan it on. So I got online, I pulled up ESPN.com. I said, well, what would it be like? How long would it take for me for a hit every major league baseball team? I started and went to Dallas, caught the Rangers and went to the Astros and just kind of worked my way around for the schedule. And it was be like 30 weeks. So what I did is I actually put those dates for those, you know, homestands in my calendar. And I it started sharing content and videos about what I was doing in the note space because it was so different. And this, you remember 2008 and nine were rough for a lot of folks, but I was, I was getting stuff sent to me that I could buy for like a nickel compared to value, which is crazy. So I started sharing 
that I was seeing these deals and working through them and creating content. I was using my, my little flip camera here. You remember these Dell flip cameras to go and like self-record before our phones had cameras and uploading these. This is, I mean, uh, hundreds of videos on here before. How do you but, still have that available? Because it's right here. I keep it as a reminder. Okay. I literally keep it as a reminder. It's still a work. If I put new batteries in, I can still edit video and record video on it. It's like my backup, my backup. So remember where you came from. Well, that it works, but if my phone dies, I always have a backup that I can record something quick. And this is like the easy editing. So delivered is instead of high level production. But anyway, so I'm sitting there just trying to figure things out. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in this house. Me and my dog and a cat are in this like five bedroom, four bath, 2,700 square foot house by ourselves. I bought it as a foreclosure and I thought it was worth one. It was worth one number and it was like worth half of that. You know, value just dropped ridiculously stupid. So I'm sitting there and suddenly I started getting these requests from real estate investment networking groups and newsletters and say, Hey, can we use your blog or can we use your video in our newsletter? I'm like, yeah, sure. And they're like, would you like to come out and speak on note investing? Would you like to come out and share your expertise? I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. And I had spoken a few times before, but nothing's serious. And so when do you want me to come out? And they pulled up their calendar and said, well, we'd like for you to come this week, if this week or this week. And these four clubs that reached out to me lined up divine intervention. I still get chills lined up perfectly when I was supposed to be there to watch a baseball game on this total dream. And I'm like, okay, all right, God, you've been telling me something. I need to do something. So I sold basically everything. I wrote a check to the investor on that property and signed the, the property over to him on a big house and kept everything except my, you know, sold everything except my truck. My cat passed away suddenly, which I think or took off. So I was like, well, okay, God's reals. I can't take a cat on the road, but my dog was with me. And so we literally set out to travel, hitting parks and that, what we thought would be 30 weeks turned in almost four years of nonstop travel. I spent a, a chunk of my time and down in uh, God's waiting room or Florida, as I like to call it. Yeah, I didn't hit all 30 major, major league baseball parks because I got, got so busy with our note business and buying debt. And so we would get, roll into a town. Like I was in Tampa and I had a student of mine call me up and he's like, hey, I'm, I got a guest house. I'd love for you to come crash for a week if you want to. No cost. Come hang out. I got a couple of meetings with bankers. Can you meet? Can we go to the banks? And I was like, yeah, let's go do it. So it just led to us buying so many deals and getting so much sent to us. Lately, like a grassroots effort to be like a politician. You know what I mean? I just didn't have the big Madden cruiser. I had a white Ford F-150 ex extended cab pickup. Me and me and Princey in the passenger seat. What yeah. an awesome adventure. What was your favorite game? Oh man, probably it was actually going to Chicago and it wasn't, it wasn't going and seeing the White Sox, the Cubs, all of the, I'm a huge Cubs fan and, and I was a big Frank Thomas fan for the White Sox, but I got tickets. I pulled into town and I suddenly got tickets to go to a Chicago Bulls game. They were playing in the playoffs. This is when, this is after Michael Jordan was there, but they had uh, Joe Kim Noah and Derek Rose was the point guard. And this is when they were really good. And when the Celtics were really good. Oh yeah. It was 2000. This is. Yeah. So I got to go to a game six in the NBA Eastern Conference Finals. I, I paid and my seats were all the way up at the top, top row. But I saw that there was a couple seats down behind the home basket. And so I snuck down, was able to sneak in there. And I was second row behind the basket for NBA Conference Finals. And that was really a, a, a cool thing because I grew up being a big Michael Jordan fan, stuff like that. And it's just just seeing the country. I think, you know, when you travel, you, you take things less for granted, you know, whether it's here traveling here domestically or internationally. We're, we're still very blessed where we live, even with all the divisions and all the, the petty uproar and crap and political. This, this country is actually more close is more closely knit than we want to give credit for. There's a, a minority group of voices out there that are trying to divide us as much as we can. But I mean, like I said, we get up in the morning. We Most folks are trying to put food on the table, 
put their kids through school and save for retirement and just trying to get through the day. And that's what unites a lot of us is there's still a lot of, there's so many great people out, out across the country and still it's such a great place to live. So that's, that's probably the biggest lesson learned is never take anything for granted. And, and that's part of the, the power of Twitter. You know, I would say I, I'm coming into town. I'm going to be at the Starbucks. And then like suddenly four people would show up and spend the day with me just talking about real estate or note investing and just share your message, share it, share it, share it. You never know who's listening or who needs to, who needs to hear it the first time or who needs to hear it the sixth or seventh time for it to sink into. I love that. Can we talk a little bit about the real estate market right now and the insurance rates rising? I mean, I have a house on the market. My dad's been, you know, renting a commercial property through this whole time. And now with the rates going up, somebody who is renting their own, I don't know if they'll be able to do that. How do you, how do you not go down with the market? So here's the thing. It, real estate is, is, is a lot like stocks. If you're buying, if you own, you can get really nervous about a year or two years or stuff like that. But like, I'll give you a great example. My next door neighbor here bought a house at the peak here in Austin, Texas. A month later, it was $40,000 over. He paid basically $40,000 over value because the market was up. He bought at the peak, just trying to get in. It took him six months to find a house. And then comps, market cooled. He's a little, he's below, you know, he owes more than the profit's worth. But he's going to be there. He bought it to be there for five, six, seven years, all right, or 10 years. So mm-hmm. when 10 years comes around, he's, you know, obviously, market value is going to go up the probably you know it'll be worth double what it was when he bought the house then he'll be fine what you have to realize is that you've got to be a little flexible if you try to time the market perfectly and wait and wait you're never never going to be time it right if you're trying to sell a property like you are you got a market house be flexible if you've got the room to accept an offer at a little bit below what you want and you got an offer gobble it up if you try to get the peak of the value you're going to be sitting there waiting for a long time or may have to reduce it. It's always better to get in a bidding match than it is in dropping your value. So like one of the things that I do when we sell property that we take back was we listed at 80, 85 cents on the dollar of value and let foot traffic come in and then you'll have multiple offer situation and then people will be fighting. So then you can bid the asset up mm. and, and less, you know, seller concessions and stuff like that. You know, then you'll take away stipulations. You know, oh, I got any difficult. If you want to get it, this other person is waving that. If you want to get it, they're wanting to offer that. So that, that leads to a bidding war, which is what we always try to do. If your dad's renting a commercial property, he might reach out to him and see if they'd be willing to sell him the property, but sell it on terms. Mm. You know what I mean? Especially commercial. A lot of commercial property isn't sold with traditional financing. It's sold like with seller carries because there's such a big tax burden to sell a property and take all that all cash and then have a capital gains on it. Whereas if he bought it on terms, he may be able to have the seller carry the financing for him for two, three, or four years. They don't have to worry about a big tax bill, but they start getting a monthly payment in. And he now owns a property without having a qualifier jump through the hoops of bank finance. No, he's renting it out. It's the other way around. No, but I'm saying if he's worried about, if he wants to buy it at some point, now might be the time to buy. Maybe. You know, Interesting, so yeah. Interest rates, with interest rates going up, it, yes, it's scary right now because if you're trying to buy a house, you just now, instead of you buying a half a million dollar house, you're buying a quarter million dollar house. You know what I mean? Because rates have doubled. But that's the thing is just be patient. I mean, that's hard in some cases, like here in Austin, Texas, where demand is stupid. I mean, you're in Houston. Houston's oh my God, you go on a walk, there's four houses on every street. At Texas, there are so many on the market, at least in Chicago. Oh There's yeah. Less on the market. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I mean, Houston's got different areas that it's a lot in the market, but same thing. You know, people are motivated to sell right now. If they especially been holding and now they see the things, if you're trying to buy a property, Hey, say, Hey, I'll give you your offer, 
but I want terms. I want you to finance the property to me for a couple of years. You can carry financing. You know, if it's investment property or it's free and clear bar owner, then, then they may be able to do that. So they don't have to pay taxes and you'd be a little flexible on it. So if uh, if you're selling, you know, like I said, just be motivated to get it moved. You really need to make sure the property's in clean so you stand out compared to your competition. And always use a professional, use a realtor. People that don't use a realtor often end up getting hit, get kicked in the shins, thinking they know, let a professional handle, let them handle the negotiations, but li listen to them. They're, they're a professional for a reason. Just don't take Zillow as what your value is, which is what a lot of people do. Oh, my house is this on Zillow. No, that's not accurate. But unfortunately, a lot of people believe it is. I definitely looked at that. Well, it's a good idea to get an idea, but you Zillow is always after the fact. It's taking a look at comps and stuff that's sold. It doesn't give you a true value of where the market's at. So that's why you hire a realtor so you can see what's sold and what's pending and what's active. You can see your competition. Zillow is not going to show that. And then you got to know what's been on the market. Zillow is just going to pull off the numbers. They're not going to tell you, hey, this one had a completely rehabbed bathroom or rehabbed you know, kitchen or whatever like that. Those are two of the bigger things or bigger square footage in a lot of cases. Zillow is a company to look at, but trust your realtor. If your realtor comes in and says it's worth something or you could list it for this based on the market, trust me, they don't want to hold a house for six months. That doesn't help. They want to help you move it as fast as possible. And that's why they, they come back with their, not their opinion, but their counsel because they're, they're the professionals. Also, what is your thoughts on fixing the house versus it, in, in, right now in today's market? Like, do you think it's a worthy investment? Yeah, it all depends on the numbers. What are you into it for? And how much is that repair is going to boost your value? Mm. You, you know, I'll, I'll give you a great example. I got, a, I got a house in Houston too. We're trying to sell. Bought the note, foreclosed on it. And now we just, we got title back on it from the foreclosure. We, it actually went to foreclosure 16, day, 16 days ago. Wow. I'm driving out there to the house. I'm actually driving out to Houston tomorrow in the morning to look at the property. What? Are we had, grabbing coffee? We, we sure can. Definitely. Be great. <laughs> for sure. I'm going by to determine. So it's, it needs, you know, we had a clean out crew come through and pull all the trash out. The carpet was trashed. It's got some markings on the wall. We have a realtor saying, oh, I can sell this right now at like 150. I'm like, okay, it's a fixed main hand. But a coat of paint isn't that expensive. New fixtures, a little bit of handyman. If we put 10 grand into it, can we get 180? You know what I mean? That's a that's a viable thing. But if we have to right. put 30, 30 grand into it to get 180, then it doesn't make any sense because it's a watch on the repairs. So you have to look at that and understand what the numbers are. You, you also got to realize that if you have labor, labor costs is a huge thing often across the board. Being able to, how, how soon can somebody be out to fix it? And then what are the repair costs can be? You know, costs of wood and things have gone up. They've come back down, but, you know, supply and demand is an important thing to look at at your bidding. I, here's the thing. If you want to save some money, get your rehab crew or whoever is doing the thing to go to Lowe's or Home Depot and buy it all at once. If you have mm -hmm. an order, if you can go into their contracting desk, if you have an order to be more than 2,500 bucks, they give you a discount, a contractor's discount off it. So if you're buying some big appliances or lumber or other things, go buy the contractor's desk at Lowe's or Home Depot and say, hey, I got to put a, an offer and they'll give you a contractor's discount usually. I'm also interested, what did you learn from being a financial advisor? Like, how is that tying into your work? So the best thing I've learned from that is it opened your mind up to all the uh, lies that the banking industry tells you. Ain't so, that the truth. That, yeah. If you don't know what the power of 72 is, power of 72 is one of the first things. Whereas if you take your, oh my God, if you take your take your return that you want to get and divide it by 72, it'll tell you how many years it'll take for that investment to double. Okay. Mm. So if you want to make 6%, if you got 10 grand, you want to make 6%, 6 into 72 is 12. It'll take you 12 years for that 10 grand to double. 
Okay. Now, if you want to make 12%, it would take six years for that money to double to 20 grand. And that's what you want to do is increase doubles. As an ex-banker, when I walked in as a banker, it was after I'd been a you know, financial advisor. I, I could tell people and talk to people normally about investments and the power of having a, an IRA and why you wanted to put a little bit away each month and, and go that route. But the thing I, I, I get, I, I use, I told my students this all the time when they're raising capital for our deals, like the banks are out there brainwashing people to think that one to 4% is safe. And when you go to your local bank and you look at the rates for the certificates of disappointment, you know, CDs, they're not certificate of deposits, they're certificates <laughs> of disappointment. 1% or half a percent or checking your savings is 0.01. I mean, we never had overdraft fees until like 1990. And that's a $6 billion profit margin for banks is overdraft fees. 1% to 4% they say is safe. 4 to 8 is, is mid-level and 8 to 12 is risky. That's a bunch of bullshit. I'm sorry. Okay. My dad would agree with you there. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of ways out. I mean, there are even some bonds and municipalities, some stuff that's going up with interest rates going up. That's a good thing for some of these other traditional forms of, I won't say safe, because you never say safe with investments, but other traditional banking Wall Street products out there to get some higher rates. But we look, people that are making 0% have money sitting in a, a savings account, not making anything. If, you know, hey, I can give you 6% on your money for a short period of time of 24 to 36 months. It's a win-win. I get a low interest rate to fund my deal. They're making really a 14% rate of return, 6% from me and not losing 8% in inflation as well to take a look at that. So all the banks and the doom and gloomers out there talking about how things are good. They're actually helping us raise capital because we say, hey, we can help you. If your money's making you know, 2%, I could, if I could show you double or triple that, would you be interested? And everybody's like, yes, please. It's like pigs running to the drop. I know I got to do something. I just don't know where to put it at. That's why it's a whole big thing. You got to share what you're doing, get the message out so you know what people, people know that you're there so they can take advantage of the products or the services that you're providing. What's so. next on the horizon? Next on the horizon. Well, hopefully we can start doing a little international travel again. Ooh. That's it's one thing we usually love to do, but we'll see how it goes. I think it will by next year, it'll be pretty much back to normal. So hopefully a few months. But we went to FinCon recently. FinCon right. is a big conference in Orlando. Well, they, they host every year. It's a big conference for, they call it where money and media meet. Cool. Yeah. It's, it was a really great event. I mean, I've been to PodFest, Podcast Movement, Outlier. You know, we've, we've been big and spoken at most of those before. But FinCon, I just attended. And it was one of the better events. It got me rejuvenated, re-excited. I've been putting the Twitter lessons I learned into habit from one of the speakers. We've been doing daily video on TikTok. And hey, hey. We never did any short-term video. I mean, very- I haven't really gotten active there. Do you think it's a must? So it's like anything else. You've got to give it time. Like a plenty of seed, you got to let it time for germinate and sprout. So I said I would- Commit to 30 days of daily videos on both of those platforms. We've seen some peaks and valleys, like the same video I shared at the same spot. So TikTok, like 224 is the views, the highest one. That same one video did like almost a thousand views on YouTube shorts. Other videos have done 70, you know, 70 views to 200, then like single digit views on YouTube, which never happens to my videos. I'm like, what the hell? So it's just, it's a different, different animal. I didn't like it because YouTube it was a different algorithm for shorts versus your long form content. And if you were seeing shorts, YouTube was not recommending your long form content. And so people would just come and view and view and view and never, you know, subscribe or view your, your stuff. We're still seeing a, not a lot of engagement from the short term to long form, mm. but they say now that they've changed it. Now they're representing, if you're looking at YouTube shorts, they're going to recommend other long form content of your stuff as well. So I've seen views go up. I've seen some engagement go up a little bit. Our subscriber numbers down on average month over month. Um, I just subscribed. Oh, very good. You're one of my you average one of four per day. We usually get to subscribe to our channel. I've, I think I'm subscribed, subscribed to your stuff as well too for you. But that's the thing is 
we're just sharing it and there's nobody really on real estate at all on TikTok. My contacts don't show up there as people with profiles. So it's not our ideal base because our, our base avatar for our listeners and our podcast is like 35 to 65. Mm-hmm. And the people watching our views on there are like 18 to 35. So it's a little bit younger crowd for us, but it's okay. It's it's just sharing. It's one video that I take and share to TikTok and YouTube and Twitter and LinkedIn. So it's that daily marketing routine a little bit each day and just sharing it across the, the, the platform. So it, it, t- it takes me five minutes to do both of those. So it's not really hard to do. So it's, we'll give it a try. And after, if it does well, we'll keep cranking out. We're doubling down and, and trying to go back to daily podcast episodes. We were doing daily when we first started for the first two years, five episodes, you know, every day, Monday through Friday, we were cranking on a podcast episode and we, you know, yeah, seriously. So we are going back to that starting next week. So I've got it on the calendar, basically boom, 10 AM, 10 or 11 AM. We'll be cranking out recording episodes. A lot of it will be me. And then others that will be guests on some days when we have later afternoons, we'll, we'll do that. But yeah, that's what we're going back. We want to go from 706 episodes to a thousand episodes on the note closer show in the next by 2025 what does your outreach process look like outreach process for guests or for what i mean i saw what it looked like to get on my show what was interesting is i got featured by podcastguest.com where they let me give them an idea of kind of the guests i was looking for i just had to agree to not charge anyone right and yeah so that's how we reconnected we were already connected through tracy hazard and we had had a phone conversation i was like hey popped up all right yeah, we were already good friends on that stuff. That's the, that's the beauty. But that's, I'll give you what I did. I started, I mean, because I'm on about 100 shows a year, other shows. So I focus, that's one of our big lead gens is me speaking on other people's podcasts that fall in line mostly with real estate or investing or entrepreneurship or business or podcasting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we use a couple of things to, to, to get me on shows. We use listennotes.com. Yeah, which is love a, that site. Great. Andrew Wang is one of the best things he ever created. So it's, if you don't know what Listen Notes is, it's a podcast directory where you can search for episodes or podcasts. You can go type of a niche. So like I did mine the other day, I typed in real estate investing. There's 2,200 podcasts. We narrow that down to United States and those that have recorded an episode in the last 90 days that have more than 25 episodes. Mm, and then we, then we download that and then I give it to my VA. And my VA goes and sees who their last three episodes are about. And then we then reach out to him directly, say, hey, I'd love to, I think I would be a great guest on your show because I would do this, this, and this. And then, of course, we've got this big audience we're glad to share the show with. But I saw your last episode, and then I listened to the ep- I'll listen to one of those three episodes so I can talk about that episode. And that helps me get booked a lot. That you know, actually, pause, that is such a good tip. Like, if you want to get on people's show, you really should listen to the show first. Yeah, yeah, or interact with them on social media or something. Do a little bit of research. And that's what—that's one of the big things I do is that, but then as far as people come to my show, I, I reach out to peers. I look and, you know, I get pitched a lot of people that want to in generic real estate. I'm getting so many apartment syndicators. I'm like, no, we had one apartment syndicator this quarter. We're not bringing on another one for a while. And now if somebody has a show and they want to do a swap, I'm much more open to having them on if they'll do a swap with me. I'm like, yeah, we'll, wink, we'll wink. figure yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you're on already. You got to figure that. You, if I haven't sent you the booking, you're going to be on. So, but that's, a, that's the thing. It's like, okay, if you got a show, great. We'll do a swap. Let's, you know, be buddies. And then I started this Facebook group like, a few years ago with everybody I've been on or have had on. And there's right. 470 other plus podcasters in there and they use it to share their message or share their, their story or vice versa, get themselves booked or booked. So that, that helps. Cause then people will, Hey, you might be good on Scott's podcast. I like to do half my shows me teaching. The other half is going to be students of mine or vendors or experts. You know, we've got a lot of some, we got some bigger names in the lending space coming on here 
in the next six months because we were able to download a list of attendees from one of the major servicing conventions with their names or profiles and their contact numbers. So we're going to reach out to them and invite them to be on the Note Closer show to talk about the market and stuff like that. So we're pretty stoked about that. But that's that's it. I think interview shows are great, but you got to I think you got to have some solo shows because I think people, your listeners out there want to hear more about you and what you're focused on. As well, because if they're listening to you every day, they want to know what's going on in your life. I mean, when we were cranking out five episodes a week, if we skipped a day or two, people would call us, Scott, okay? You know, are you alive? I need my daily crack hit. You know what I mean? And I'm like, yes, I'm alive. So one one thing we did, Restream is a service that we love to use. I think I mentioned earlier. When we, I hope we they're paying to, you. <laughs> I, I have an affiliate with them of some sort. But anyway, we went on vacation in Europe for three weeks. And so I wasn't recording anything, but we had daily restream video podcast that went out and it looked like I was live and I was out of the country. People didn't even know it. There's systems to make things easier for you. It may cost a little bit of money, but it's well worth it when you figure out what it saves you in time and money and energy and being able to stay consistent more than anything else. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That's why I hired an editor. <laughs> Amen to that. Aren't they great? Isn't Potitize great? Yes. I love Tracy. I, I reached out to her before this and was like, hey, Scott's been on a zillion shows. I know you know him well. Give me something good. They're great. We we spent some time in Orlando with them a few weeks back. They were on vacation with their family, and we ended up being out there. So we had to spend a couple of days with them, went to a water park together. And they're just, just such great people. Tom is the reason I have a podcast, honestly. I met him at an event in San Diego a few years back with Aaron Young called Magnify Your Wealth. And he did a little research on people and saw they had all these videos and this content. And Tom's, we were on the boat in San Diego. So you should have a podcast. Like, no, too much work. I had a, a student of mine who started a podcast and he would talk about for like for every hour he recorded, it was like four hours of editing. I'm like, oh, that doesn't make sense. That's stupid. I don't, I'm not going to do that. And Tom's like, well, you, we could do it all for us. Like, ah, think about it. Well, then I, a couple months go by and I'm, talking with that student and I find out that they're stopping their podcast. If they had like 150 episodes and we're doing all this great stuff, they just stopped because him and his, his co-host were going separate ways. And I looked at Steph, I was like, maybe we need to do this. So I remember calling Tom and Tracy said, okay, what's it going to cost or what's it going to do for you to do the work? And they, they told me, I was like, that's stupid. I can't hire somebody full-time to do that. And that's the reason I have the note closer shows. Why we have note night in America podcasts, why we have note camp live podcasts, why we've embraced podcasting to be, you know, over a thousand episodes in my three shows and, and being on about 300, 400 other podcasts out there. So it's, it's the number it's become our number one legion. It's also why I don't speak at a lot of conferences anymore. I don't want to fly out and spend three or four days away. I can for 30 minutes or an hour when I see the same people and when I can stay at home and be on three or four podcasts and day, sleep in my own bed, eat my own food and not have to get all dressed up. Just chill. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? you know so shout out Tom about. Hazard. Yeah, exactly. Well, Tom knows. I tell him that all the time. <laughs> Aw. Is there anything you'd like to ask my dad? You know, I would love to know what was the most troubling moment of Rena growing up, what's the thing that sticks to your mind where Rena really shared a bit of an insight who she was going to become later on? That's a good one. You know what? I feel like I could do a whole podcast around that. And what's funny is people want to know the dirt. Do yeah. people want to know the dirt on you? Oh, all the time. You know, you have people that come in and I'm, I'm open. I mean, I'm like, ask me a question. I'll tell you anything. I don't care. Good or bad. You may not like it, but I'm not going to blow smoke up your ass. Like today, I, I, it's a funny story. Somebody asked me a question on my coaching call this morning, and I told them the answer. Like, well, that's not what I expected. And somebody else asked me, you know, asked me, I was like, I just gave you the answer. You asking the question two, three different ways doesn't change the answer to it. I love it, that. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like the attorney. I'm going to ask you. No, it's the same. It doesn't matter how you ask it. It's the same answer. Just do it. Careful um, what you ask for. Yeah. They, oh, totally. So here's a book. If you have not read, there's a book out there called Shit My Dad Says. Oh, I've got to read that. You have got to read it. It's by Justin 
Halpern, H-L-P-E-R-N, Shit My Dad Says. Now it's, I want to have him on. He's hilarious. It's a great book. It came out, I don't know, five, six years ago, maybe a little bit longer. But it's it's I literally see it here on my it's the same color blue as you as your outline is your image there. But shit, my dad says by and it's hilarious. It's an easy read, not too thick but not too thin. It's it's perfect. You'll love at it, and your dad will love it as well too. That's great. Thank you so much. I'm always looking for great book suggestions and guest suggestions. So if you know anybody else with some daddy cool. stories, inspirational or absent, let me know. You know, we had, we, you know, we're good friends with Mark Victor Hansen from Chicken Soup for the Soul. He's always got a pretty good story uh, on a variety of what he used podcasting when the pandemic happened. He had a new book coming out, Ask and, and Your Dreams Will Come or something like that. It's the book mm-hmm. And when the pandemic hit, all his guest bookings and stuff like that, as far as like bookstores and signings, canceled. So his promotional tour had to go to something else. So he and him and his wife, Crystal Dwyer Hanson, embraced podcasting. So they went around being like three to five podcasts a day for like a year and a half. And they sold more copies that way than anything else. And we got connected with him. He's got great stories. Sounds like you're a fan of podcasting. Yeah, I totally am. Like I said, number one lead gen for us. If you don't have a podcast and you have, you're in a niche, you need to get a podcast. And it's not as hard as it used to be. The biggest regret I did is that I didn't start one sooner. I love that. Okay, well, let people know how they can find your podcast, support you, all the good stuff. Easiest way is just go to weclosednotes.com. That's our main website. That's the mothership that hosts all of our different educational classes, our podcasts and stuff like that. You can always book a phone call with me if you want to talk, whether it's about real estate or podcasting, really easy to go to. Go to talk talkwithscottcarson.com. That's talkwithscottcarson.com. And then I'll book you on my schedule when I'm available. But here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Rena is kicking ass at this, Aww. okay? So we as podcasters, we love to hear from our audience. Oh, so yes. Do, so do yourself a favor. Click that subscribe button on however you're watching or listening to this. And then click on leave a review and leave a five-star review. We don't want one review, one star, two. Five-star. Come on now, okay? Leave a five-star review. Your name, I guarantee you, Rena and I love getting comments and things like that reviews so we can see stuff that's going on but do this self a favor we it's such a little thing a little investment on your time for all the work that we as podcasters put into the episode and rena deserves it so subscribe leave a five star review now or daddy will call you or daddy will spank you that is like the best promo ever did you like think about that prior no i, I well i pull that out of my ass but that's one of the things i do anytime i guess in somebody's podcast it's that's so good it's such a great little thing to do say you know we forget about it as podcasters or we want to come across as being pushy a lot of times so i said well i'll just do it you know i'll just do it at the end that make it part of the episode it becomes a good little thing and adds value and they love it everybody i do it for them, they're like oh that's awesome i love that can i have you do it on every show i'm like sure if you just want to reuse the exit go right ahead that's so damn good. Actually, I saw your like little intro video on YouTube. I was like, I need to make a Rena version of that. It was are so you, good, so well spoken, so friendly, like a talk, really good overview. Yeah. Are you what, what are you talking? Are you talking about like my podcast booking one that I send out or my ask the one Andrew? with the green screen background and you're just talking oh. about what your channel is? I'm oh, like, my YouTube. Yeah, yeah. So it's a yeah. I just have an intro where if you're a subscriber or a first time visitor, I don't remember which one. It's a different one depending on how you you are. But yeah, it's just a hey, here's what here. But that's another thing that I did. I don't know if we got to wrap up here because you got another appointment or not. Bigger, but oh shit, yes. <laughs> so when I send out like on, I use LinkedIn to find real estate podcast hosts, or I'm contacting bank asset managers too. I've recorded a two minute pitch video. 
And I send that in the message as a link and say, hey, I'd love to be on your show. Here's what I think I can add. And that way people see my energy. They see they see me, they hear me. And it's longer versus 300 characters. It's better than a pitch, a one sheet. It's me talking. And people love, asset managers love that because nobody sends that to them in the banking industry. And they're like, oh, okay, I'll send you some deals versus just being a generic, you know, auto-formatted email that goes out. So it's really smart. Okay, give me like a 15 second clip this is Scott Carson on the Better Call Daddy show and whatever else you want to just throw in there for the intro. And I'll oh, for the intro? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So, hey, everybody. This is Scott Carson from the Note Closer Show podcast. And you are tuned in to the Better Call Daddy show. And you want to listen to this episode. Reed and I get deep in the weeds about podcasting, entrepreneurship, overcoming hurdles, dealing with trolls and the negative people out there and how to overcome that stuff. So you better call daddy. Tell him you're going to be late because you're listening to Rita here on the Better Call Daddy podcast. Oh my God. Awesome. Thank you so much, Scott. You're incredible. Yeah, let's grab coffee here tomorrow if I'm down. Yeah, I would love it. And I'm so glad we did this today. This is amazing. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. Well, Scott, this was a great conversation and interview and fellow podcaster where you really down to earth shared your knowledge and your experience and your daddy's story. And we deeply appreciate that. And isn't that really part of this episode is the learning of patience that if you take all your experiences and you can find a niche, go after it, but be real to people, teach people, share with other people, have them on your show be on their show. Share, 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 and share. And you asked an interesting question. My daughter was a challenge every day. I don't think there's one episode in her life with us that we didn't have to chase after her tail and make sure that she was okay. She was a little mischievous, but really learning and yearning to get many different experiences and really not listen to anybody, her own self, and to be able to experience it. Fortunately, even though she would get in a little bit of trouble, without those experiences, sometimes get back on the right foot by really understanding what choices really are. I just love the idea that you give your dad also full credit. He wanted to have a big family, really started really two families, and he was sacrificing himself so that his uncle fought in the war, and he held down the fort and the farm, and even you decided to also get some farm life experience in the summers instead of whooping it up with your friends that you were willing to learn hands-on, working in your dad's hardware store, where you're learning every nuts and bolts when you work in a family business and learning how to do every job. And then to have a finance career, do banking, and to see the ins and outs of that and to understand real estate and find a niche where most people hate to chase money. They hate that type of job. And yet you've made it the type of job where you've been able to take all your experiences and be able to help people to be able to pay off their debt, to be able to buy debt at a cheaper price, because it's a lot of work. Most bankers, most financial institutions don't want to go through foreclosures, don't want to do the hard work of chasing money. They want it to be easy. So you've taken a hard job, personable about it, are able to really make a good living at it, because you've been able to use all of your hands-on experience of understanding and willing to travel and listen to people and to share ideas, and to make it where it's not a chore, but where it's a a job of helping even the people that are in trouble. I think it's just amazing how you can find a niche, all of the experiences that you have, and can be very successful. 
I'd like to say that that same type of family business background that I also got from my father and the way he serviced his country and the same type of philosophy. Learn how to do every job in a place. Don't tell people what to do. Work with them and show them what to do. That you'll gain a hell of a lot more respect when you're working with people than telling people what to do. I just love that you have that similar philosophy. What do you think about the fact that he worked with some ostriches? And as he said, you know, it's a very difficult breed of animal to work with, but that he really loved working on a farm just like his dad. He loved working in a family business with his dad. And the truth of the matter is, is that the reason why his dad was also successful, which is what he's carrying out on, is that he's good to people and he helps people and he's willing to come in any hour to satisfy or help somebody's problem that they're going through. And if his community is in trouble or has had a disaster, that he's there to help, even if it has to donate his own money or give extra supplies that come out of his pocket, where, again, he's a good person. And when you're a good person, you can make any tough job a hell of a lot easier if you're personable and you're genuine and you're real and you listen to other people. And he really gets the word out. And he wants to be part of your podcast and everybody else's. And he wants people to be part of his. And he wants it to be not only where he talks about things to better his show and himself, but he's out there teaching and wanting to share ideas with other people. And that's got tremendous value. And he's a perfect guest to share those ideas on the Better Call Daddy show. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Hold up. 